One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're going to be talking about another indie title, one that is very near and dear to my heart, one that was created during a game jam that, funny enough, was made on some Flash, made into a full game in and of itself, and has seen plenty of expansions. And we're going to be talking today about The Binding of Isaac. Yeah, I had to double check with Alex that we hadn't already done this episode, because I feel like we've talked about it so much offline that it's like man the fact that we haven't done this episode yet we just need to go ahead and do this episode talk about it i'm excited for this one today absolutely it's one of my favorite games of all time it's one of those ones i can always go back to and it's one that they kept updating and bringing amazing content to so let's just jump right into it the binding of isaac is a roguelike video game designed by independent developers edmund mcmillan and florian hemsel it was released in 2011 for Microsoft Windows, then ported to OS X and Linux. The game's title and plot are inspired by the biblical story of the Binding of Isaac. In the game, Isaac's mother receives a message from God demanding the life of her son as proof of her faith, and Isaac, fearing for his life, flees into the monster-filled basement of their home where he must fight to survive. Players control Isaac or one of seven other unlockable characters, through a procedurally generated dungeon in a roguelike manner, fashioned after those of The Legend of Zelda, defeating monsters in real-time combat while collecting items and power-ups to defeat bosses and eventually Isaac's mother. The game was the result of a week-long game jam between Macmillan and Himsel to develop a The Legend of Zelda-inspired roguelike that allowed Macmillan to showcase his feelings about both positive and negative aspects of religion that he had come to discover from conflicts between his Catholic and born-again Christian family members while growing up. Macmillan has considered the title a risk, but one he could take after the financial success of Super Meat Boy, and released it without much fanfare to Steam in September 2011, not expecting many sales. The game soon gained popularity partially as a result of various Let's Play videos showcasing the title. Macmillan and Hemsel released an expansion, Wrath of the Lamb, in May 2012, but were limited from further expansion due to limitations with the Flash program. They had started working with Nintendo in 2012 to release a 3DS version, but Nintendo later backed out of the deal, citing controversy over the game's religious themes. Developer Nicalis worked with Macmillan in 2014 to complete a remake of the game, The Binding of Isaac Rebirth, bringing additional features that Macmillan had planned that exceeded Flash's limitation as well as to improve the game's graphics and enable ports for other systems beyond personal computers, including PS4 and Vita, 
Xbox One, Wii U, 3DS, and the Nintendo Switch. This remake has commonly been cited as one of the best roguelike games of all time. And The Binding of Isaac has been well received, with critics praising the game's roguelike nature to encourage repeated playthroughs. By July 2014, Macmillan reported over 3 million copies had been sold, and the game had been said to contribute to renewed interest in the roguelike genre from both players and developers. So let's talk a little bit about the studio and the developers. So Edmund Charles Macmillan is an American video game designer and artist. He is known for his Adobe Flash games with unconventional visual styles. His works include 2010's side-scroller Super Meat Boy, 2011's roguelike game The Binding of Isaac, and its 2014 remake, The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. Macmillan was born on March 2, 1980, to a family of born-again Christians of Mexican descent. A lifelong resident of Watsonville in Santa Cruz, California, he attended Soquel High School. He is fond of drawing, his favorite subject being monsters. Macmillan spent most of his childhood with his grandmother, whom he considers to be the greatest source of support in his creative endeavors. Later in his life, Macmillan received a box from his grandmother that contained all of his drawings as a child. Many of these drawings can be seen by unlocking the box in one of his games, The Basement Collection. His childhood represents his own game creations, more specifically The Binding of Isaac Rebirth. In an interview with Indie Game The Movie, he explains that his family was consistently riddled with alcohol and drug addiction. He was confronted by this extreme faith, which caused him religious guilt and mental problems, causing him to grow a desire to fight back, resulting in his acting out against them. Macmillan's initial graphic work was in independent comics. While he has largely abandoned this field in favor of video games, he has released a series of comics featuring Meat Boy, the title character in the video game Super Meat Boy, as a promotional tie-in for the game. His most well-known games are the Flash-based game Meat Boy and its sequel Super Meat Boy, which has been released for PC, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 4. Macmillan is also known for the games Gish, Ether, The Binding of Isaac, and Coil. Gish won Game Tunnel's 2004 Adventure Game of the Year, as well as Indie Game of the Year. His game Coil was nominated for the Innovation Award at the 2009 Independent Games Festival. Macmillan was the original character artist and animator on Braid before those assets were replaced by the work of David Hellman. When it comes to the development of The Binding of Isaac, it was developed following the release of Super Meat Boy, which Macmillan considered a significant risk in a large-time effort. When Super Meat Boy was released to both critical praise and strong sales, he felt that he no longer had to worry about the consequences of taking risks with his finances supported by its sales. He also considered he could take further risk with the concept. He had been planning to work with Tommy Refines, the co-developer of Super Meat Boy, on their next game, Mugenics. But as Refines had taken some time off, Macmillan looked to develop something he considered to be low stress, with minimal expectations, such as an Adobe Flash game. The Binding of Isaac's main concept was the result of a week-long game jam that Macmillan had with Florian Hemsel. At the time, his co-contributor on Super Meat Boy, Tommy Refines, was on vacation. The concept Macmillan had was twofold. To develop a roguelike title based on the first Legend of Zelda game's dungeon structure, and to develop a game that addressed Macmillan's thoughts on religion. 
Macmillan had been inspired by Shigeru Miyamoto, the designer of the original Zelda games, and Macmillan saw the potential of the procedural generation aspect of roguelikes included in Spelunky and desktop dungeons, and considered that working on procedural generation would help towards the development of his planned game, Eugenics. Random rooms were created for each floor of the dungeon by selecting 10 to 20 rooms from a pre-built library of 200 layouts, adding in the monsters, items, and other features, and then including fixed rooms that would be found on each floor, such as a boss room and treasure room. In expanding the gameplay, Macmillan used the structure of Zelda's dungeons to design how the player would progress through the game. In a typical Zelda dungeon, according to Macmillan, the player acquires a new item that helps them to progress further in the game. He took the same inspiration to assure that each level in Isaac included at least one item and one bonus item on defeating the boss that would boost the character's attributes. Macmillan also wanted to encourage players to experiment to learn how things work within Isaac, mirroring how Miyamoto had done with the original Zelda game. He designed the level progression to become more difficult with the player's progression in the game, as well as additional content that became available after beating the game to make it feel like the game was long. Macmillan designed four of the selectable characters based on the main classes of Dungeons & Dragons, Fighter, Thief, Cleric, and Wizard. On the story side, Macmillan explained that the religious tone is based on his own experiences with his family split between Catholics and born-again Christians. Macmillan noted that while both sides were born out of faith from the same Bible, their attitudes were different. He found some of the Catholic rituals his family performed inspiring, while other beliefs they had were condemning of several pastimes Macmillan had participated in, like Dungeons & Dragons. He took inspiration from that duality to create Isaac's narrative, showing how religion can both instill harmful feelings while also bringing about dark creativity. Macmillan also considered the scare tactics used by the Christian right to condemn popular media of the 1980s, such as heavy metal and video games. Macmillan noted how many of the propaganda films from this period featured satanic cults that would sacrifice children, and he noted how many biblical stories mirrored these concepts, subsequently building the story around that. He also stated that he tended to like really weird stuff relating to toilet humor and similar types of off-color humor that did not sit well with his family, and which he had explored in previous games before Super Meat Boy. While Super Meat Boy helped to make his reputation, including being one of the featured developers in Indie Game the Movie, he felt it was a safe game considering his preferred type of humor and used Isaac to return to this form considering that the game could easily be career suicide, but would make a statement about what he really wanted to do. Within the week of the game jam, they had a working game written in Adobe Flash's Action Script 2. The two agreed to complete it out as a game that they could release on Steam, though there were no expectations of sales. Completion of the game from the prototype to the finished state took about three months with part-time development. During this time, they discovered there were several limitations on the size and scope of both Flash and ActionScript that limited how much they could do with the game, but continued to use the tools to release the title. Macmillan said that because they were not worried about sales, they were able to work with Valve to release the game without fears of censorship or having to seek an ESRB rating. 
Releasing through Steam also enabled them to update the game freely, several times on its initial release, an aspect that they could not do with other consoles without significant cost to themselves. They did release without significant end-user testing, as it would have taken several hundred of users to go through all the various combinations of items that a player could collect, and Macmillan recognized that they released the title with their buyers being playtesters for them. A week after the Steam release, Macmillan released a demo version via the website Newgrounds. Merge Games produced a physical edition that included the game, soundtrack, and a poster for stores in the UK in 2012. AS2 was a very outdated program at the time and caused many low-end PCs and even high-end PCs to encounter slowdown at times. AS2 also lacked controller support, and Tommy Refinez had to help write an achievement program that would allow people to unlock Steam achievements. Macmillan later stated that he would not have made it in Flash at all if he had known that anyone would actually care about Isaac. And so let's move over to the gameplay of Binding of Isaac, and it is a top-down dungeon crawler game presented using two-dimensional sprites in which the player controls Isaac or other unlockable characters as they explore the dungeons located in Isaac's basement. The characters differ in speed, amount of health, amount of damage they deal, and other attributes. The game's mechanics and presentation is similar to the dungeons of The Legend of Zelda, while incorporating random, procedurally generated levels in the manner of a roguelike game. On each floor of the basement dungeon, the player must fight monsters in a room before continuing on to the next room. This is most commonly done by the character's tears as bullets in the style of a twin-stick shooter, but the player can also use a limited supply of bombs to damage enemies and clear out parts of the room. Other methods of defeating enemies become possible as the character gains power-ups, items that are automatically worn by the player character when picked up that can alter the character's core attributes, such as increasing health or the strength of each tier, or cause additional side effects, such as for allowing charged tier shots to be fired after holding down a controller button for a short while, or a means to fire tiers behind the character. Power-ups include passive items that improve the character's attributes automatically, active power-ups that can be used once before they are recharged by completing additional rooms in the dungeon, and single-use power-ups such as pills or tarot cards that confer a one-time benefit when used, such as regaining full health or increasing or decreasing all attributes of the character. The effective power-ups stack so that the player may come into highly beneficial power-up combinations. Once a room is cleared of monsters, it will remain clear, allowing the player to retrace their way through the level, though once they move on to the next level, they cannot return. Along the way, the player can collect money to buy power-ups from shopkeepers, keys to unlock special treasure rooms, and new weapons and power-ups to strengthen their chances against the enemies. The player's health is tracked by a number of hearts. If the character loses all his hearts, the game ends in permadeath, and the player must start over from a freshly generated dungeon. Each floor of the dungeon includes a boss which the player must defeat before continuing to the next level. On the sixth of eight floors, the player fights Isaac's mother. After defeating her, Isaac crawls into her womb. Later levels are significantly harder, culminating in a fight against the heart of Isaac's mother on the eighth floor. An optional ninth floor, Sheol, 
contains the boss Satan. Winning the game with certain characters or by certain conditions unlocks new power-ups that might appear in the dungeon or the ability to use one of the other characters. The game tracks the various power-ups that the player has found over time, which can be reviewed from the game's menus. When it comes to the story, the Binding of Isaac's plot is very loosely inspired by the biblical story of the same name. Isaac, a child, and his mother live in a small house on a hill, both happily keeping to themselves, with Isaac drawing pictures and playing with his toys, and his mother watching Christian broadcasts on television. Isaac's mother then hears a voice from above, a voice that she believes is that of God himself, stating that her son is corrupted with sin and needs to be saved. It asks her to remove all that is evil from Isaac in an attempt to save him. His mother agrees, taking away his toys, drawings, and even his clothes. The voice once again speaks to Isaac's mother, stating that Isaac must be cut off from all that is evil in the world. Once again, his mother agrees and locks Isaac inside his room. Once more, the voice speaks to her. It states that she has done well, but it still questions her devotion and tells her to sacrifice her son. She agrees grabbing a butcher's knife from the kitchen and walks to Isaac's room. Isaac, watching through a crack in the door, starts to panic. He finds a trapdoor hidden under his rug and jumps in, just as his mother bursts through his bedroom door. Isaac then puts the paper he was drawing onto his wall, which becomes the title screen. And the story, throughout more of the expansions, continues and adds on to this towards the final expansion that we see that brings the story full circle and adds a lot more aspects into it, but that is our general start of the game. Danny Baranowski, the game's composer and who previously worked with McMillan on Super Meat Boy, was involved early on with the project shortly after the completion of the first prototype. McMillan and Baranowski worked back and forth, with McMillan providing artwork from the game and allowing Baranowski to develop the musical themes based on that. This would often lead to Macmillan creating more art to support the music as it progressed. Baranowski had been drawn to The Binding of Isaac as though the game puts forth a dark tone. He stated it had rather silly undertones underneath, and such that one could not take it too seriously. Some of the songs were inspired by classical choral music, but modified to fit the theme of the game. Other works were inspired by boss fight songs composed by Nobuo Uematsu for the Final Fantasy series. Baranowski also had additional time after finishing the main songs for the game to craft short additional tracks that were used for special rooms like shops and secret areas. So Alex touched on the additional releases for The Binding of Isaac. Let's talk about Wrath of the Lamb. An expansion to the game entitled Wrath of the Lamb was released through Steam on May 28, 2012. McMillan was inspired to create the expansion not only due to the success of the base game, but because his wife Danielle had fully completed the base game, the first game he had written in which she had shown significant interest. The expansion adds 70% more content to the original, and contains more than 10 bosses, over 100 items, over 40 unlocks, 2 additional endings, and 2 additional optional levels. This expansion added new alternate floors, which can replace the normal floors, creating an alternate route through the game. These floors contain harder enemies and a different set of bosses. Other features include a new item type, trinkets, which have a variety of passive or triggered effects when carried, as well as new room types. 
Macmillan had plans to release a second expansion beyond Wrath of the Lamb, but was constrained by the limits of Flash at this point. And that's where we see the Binding of Isaac rebirth come in. So sometime in 2012, after Isaac's release, Macmillan was approached by Tyrone Rodriguez of Nicalis, who asked if Macmillan was interested in bringing the game to consoles. Macmillan was interested, but insisted that they would have to reprogram the game to get around the limitations of Flash and to include Wrath of the Lamb in the second planned expansion, remaking the game's graphics in 16-bit instead of vector-based Flash graphics. Further, Macmillan had wanted nothing to do with the business aspects of the game, having recounted the difficulties he had in handling this for Super Meat Boy. Nicalis agreed to these and began work in 2012 on what would become The Binding of Isaac Rebirth, an improved version of the title. It was released on November 4th, 2014 for Windows, OS X, Linux, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, with a few versions for Wii U, Nintendo 3DS, and Xbox One released on July 23rd, 2015. The game introduced numerous new playable characters, items, enemies, bosses, challenges, and room layout seeds for floors. A content pack, entitled Afterbirth, was released for Rebirth starting October 2015, adding new alternate chapters, characters, and items, as well as wave-based greed mode. A second update, Afterbirth Plus, added further additional content and support for user-created modifications, and was released on January 3rd, 2017. And a third and final update, Repentance, added a lot of new content and bug fixes, including most of the content from Antibirth, one of the biggest fan-made expansions, such as a new alternate path throughout the entire game, as well as numerous character variations and new final bosses. That expansion was released on March 31st, 2021. And finally, we also had a canceled 3DS port as we talked about Nintendo pulling that plug. And in January 2012, as the game had surpassed 450,000 units sold, Macmillan stated that he was approached by a publisher that had interest in bringing the title to the Nintendo 3DS as a downloadable title through the eShop. Though Macmillan had reservations given Nintendo's reputation for less risque content. In late February, Macmillan stated that Nintendo had rejected the game because of questionable religious content. He believed this stemmed from Germany's classification board rating the existing Windows version of the game as age 16 plus due to potentially blasphemous content, the first such time a game was rated in that manner in the country. Macmillan noted that Nintendo executives he spoke to before this decision had noted some blasphemous content would have been acceptable and were more concerned with overtly religious content. He also noted that he was approached about his willingness to make some changes to the game to make it more suitable for the 3DS, but never was given a list of specific changes. Macmillan speculated that Nintendo was worried about its reputation because of the game's resemblance to The Legend of Zelda, an unknowing child could potentially have downloaded the title and have been shocked by the content, which would have reflected poorly on Nintendo. Several game websites were outraged at Nintendo's decision. Though disappointed with Nintendo's decision, Macmillan did not think the loss of the 3DS port was a major issue and saw a brief sales burst on Steam as the news was covered on gaming websites. Macmillan further praised the flexibility of the Steam platform, which does not require games to obtain ESRB ratings to be published on the service and the freedom it gave to the publishers regardless of the game content. Nintendo would later allow the Rebirth remake to be released on both the new Nintendo 3DS 
and the Wii U in 2015. This came in part because Nintendo's Steve Singer, Vice President of Licensing, Mark Griffin, a Senior Manager in Licensing, and Dan Alderman, the Head of Indie Development, championed support for The Binding of Isaac. Macmillan also collaborated with James Id to develop The Legend of Bumbo, which was released on November 12, 2019 for Windows and later for iOS and Switch. Bumbo is described as a prequel to Isaac, and Isaac and Gish appear as characters in the game. Isaac also appears as a playable character in the fighting game Blade Strangers and the puzzle game Crystal Crisis. On June 27, 2018, Edmund McMillan announced and later released a card game adaptation in cooperation with Studio 71 titled The Binding of Isaac, Four Souls. Which is a fantastic card game that also just received an expansion through Kickstarter that I received. And let me tell you, I have played the game a total of one times. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoy it. It is hard to get people into it. Yeah, there's so many card games out there. It's like, if it's not a game that you could get people into really, really fast, sometimes I think it, it can be difficult. It, it can definitely be tough because it, it, it's really well done. The art's amazing, the boss fights, and like the way that they've structured it to kind of be like a roguelike is really cool and goes towards that. So listeners, if you want to fly over to my house and play around with me, don't do that. We'll meet somewhere else safe and not at my house, but we'll play <laughs> and it'll be fun. <laughs> if you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And so as we start to wrap this up, we do know that The Binding of Isaac received generally favorable reviews from game critics. On Metacritic, the game has an average of 84 out of 100. The Binding of Isaac has been received by reviewers as a game with high replayability with the extensive range and combinations of power-ups that the player can encounter during a run-through, while providing an accessible Zelda-inspired framework that most video game players would recognize and easily come to understand. John Teddy from Eurogamer praised the game for its replayability through the randomization aspects, calling it the most accessible exploration of the roguelike idea that he had seen. Edge similarly commented on the lure to replay the game due to its short playthrough time, calling it an imaginative and quick-witted arcade experience that manages to be both depraved and strangely sweet by turn. GameSpot's Maxwell McGee stated that the game smartly has removed extraneous features, such that what remains is a tightly focused game that continues to feel fresh even after multiple completions. Though the game is considered to be accessible to new players, reviewers found the game to be a difficult challenge, often set by the randomness of what power-ups the player happened to acquire during a single run. Writers for the AV Club rated the game an A on a grading scale, 
and favorably compared the title to Macmillan's Super Meat Boy, requiring the player to have masochistic patience in the face of terrible odds. Writers for the AV Club rated the game an A on a grading scale and favorably compared the title to Macmillan's Super Meat Boy, requiring the player to have masochistic patience in the face of terrible odds. This difficulty was considered mitigated by the large number of possible power-ups that the game offers. Most would not be seen by players until they have replayed the game many times. McGee noted that while players can review what items have been discovered prior to a run-through, this feature does not explain what each item does, leaving the effect to be determined by the player while in-game. Game Informer's Adam Beastner noted that while The Binding of Isaac had a number of software bugs on release that may briefly detract from the experience, Macmillan's vision shines through in the game's playability, art style, and story. Nellie Johnson for IGN found that some players may be put off by the game's crudeness, but otherwise, quote, it's totally random, highly creative, and brutally unforgiving. Similarly, Nathan Munir for GameSpy noted the game had some shock value that one must work past, but otherwise was imaginative and utterly absorbing. Alternatively, Jordan DeVore for Destructoid considered the visual style of the game one of its biggest selling points, following Macmillan's past style of dark comedy from Super Meat Boy. Baranowski's soundtrack was found by reviewers to well suit the themes of the game, and used appropriately to avoid extensive repetition during a playthrough. Kirk Hamilton of Kotaku called the soundtrack a combination of several genres and the musical styles of Danny Elfman, Muse, and Final Fantasy that created something dark and unique. The Binding of Isaac was nominated in the Best Independent Game category at the 2011 Spike Video Game Awards, but lost to Minecraft. Macmillan had only expected the game to sell a few hundred copies when he released it on Steam. For the first few months of its release, sales were roughly a few hundred per day, but shortly thereafter, Macmillan found sales suddenly were boosted, a fact he attributed to numerous Let's Play videos that had been published by players to showcase the game and drove sales. This popularity also drew interest by players that wanted to create custom mods for the game, which would become a factor in the design of the sequel to better support modding. By November 2012, the game sold over 1 million copies, with at least one quarter of those having purchased the Wrath of the Lamb expansion. As of July 2014, the game has sold over 3 million copies, and by July 2015, following the release of Rebirth, the combined games had over 5 million units sold. The Binding of Isaac is said to be a contributing factor towards the growth of the roguelike genre since around 2010 with its success paving the way for later games that use the roguelike formula, such as FTL, Faster Than Light, and Don't Starve. And Hades, and Enter the Gungeon, and basically everything that we're seeing in today's markets where roguelike is one of the most popular indie genres to build, because you do make this kind of almost random number generator to allow a game that may not be that long, become one of the longest games ever because you can have hundreds of different playthroughs with so many different combinations and are some of my favorite games to play. Um, you know, it's, it's so much fun to be able to jump to a game for a little bit, play a round or two, see how it's different, do unlocks. Like there's just so much you can do that keeps a game fresh that a lot of like single player experiences try and do, but may not succeed in that same way. And I think as a player, you feel like you almost have more control 
over a game when it is randomized because you get to kind of work within that randomness. It is your decisions and what you do that can really change that up. And there are, you know, the masochistic ways of getting like the worst items in the game on a run. It just kind of defeats it. But it makes those like insanely overpowered runs that much sweeter to play through and that much more fun to like really bask in that like godlike glory of being able to just destroy everything in one hit. It really, really changes the game for that. And you do see even a lot of people's careers that launched on the Binding of Isaac. Uh, one I can think of is Northern Lion, who's a streamer on Twitch who started out doing Binding of Isaac playthroughs that was on YouTube, eventually on Twitch, and now does a lot of other stuff. But like a career built on a game in and of itself is fantastic and has launched just so many games that we see today. And, you know, in those early 2000s into the early 2010s, when the indie market and the indie makeup was very expensive and it was very experimental to try and get these one-man games out there, it is amazing to see how much that has shifted over time. And I think that there is a depth to these roguelike games, these indie roguelikes specifically, that is what it's sort of deceiving. It's I know that you really enjoy these games, but I think that there's a little bit more of a reason beyond that, but beyond the being able to pick it up and put it down and it's all self-contained. I feel like there is just like so much going on. This is a flash game, right? Like a, a game that should by all measures be simple. And I think that it is, but it's also incredibly complex and it has these things built into it that I think make the replay factor fun make it a game that has a lot of legs behind it, make it more interesting for Let's Play videos because you're not going to watch the same game. You could have the same Let's Play YouTuber make playthroughs of this game three different times and it never be the same. You know, whereas you could do that if you want to watch someone do a Let's Play on other video games, standard video games, it's not really an option. Once you've seen one part, yeah, maybe someone figure something out differently like you know the new legend of zelda games where there's all these different options of how to solve puzzles you know i feel like there's some inspiration within that whole mentality that fed its way back into tears of the kingdom and breath of the wild in that regard so i think that there's a large influence there is a lot of depth within these games and i think absolutely right binding of isaac coming out you know when it did fed into that as a uh, a potential artistic outlet for people, as well as a really cool um, video game style just for people to play. Yeah, and, and taking games, especially when we talk about these like dungeon crawler, roguelike RPG style games where you're picking these items, you're challenging yourself. Not only that, yes, the game is very challenging. It takes that Dark Soulsian idea of some of these bosses that are pretty easy to fight, others that are very much more bullet hells or bullet sponges that just take a long time to defeat that bring that challenge up. We're like, yeah, sometimes the bosses run them over. But also, as you continue to play, and as these expansions came out, you have to learn new boss patterns. What do these bosses do? Do they shoot tears? Do they shoot lasers? Do they jump around? Do they slap? Like, what, what all is there encasing in that as you start to develop the larger story of Isaac and build out to the quote-unquote true ending when Repentance came out to see what happens? I think that's just so cool. And for a game that at this point is, what, 12 years 
we kind of put 10 years with like the added expansions and stuff. It's amazing that this still has legs all over the place and can do things like a card game and can create other little spinoffs of Isaac that work in the community and have built such a loyal community within that. that just have fun with it, that really enjoy it. It's just so cool to see. And we see that more and more each year as indie titles, which were kind of reserved for the most part for PC gaming, just for like the cheap way to be able to put it out there, whether it's through Flash in and of itself or through when Steam was doing a lot more of the green lighting of, of indie games. We're now seeing stuff, especially on Nintendo Switch. Switch is basically at this point, Nintendo IP and indie IP. Like those are like your two major genres that you're are really like outlets that you're getting. And it's really cool to see because it's also such a great console to have for those indie games to be able to take and go with you, run a, run a, you know, a session of Isaac while you're waiting for the plane or you're on the bus and then you're done with it. And then you can go about your day. It's much different than those like, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100 hour story games. Yeah. And it's so funny <laughs> that Nintendo took this stance, this hard stance of, hey, there's too much controversy that could be generated by this content. When really, I think the Nintendo Switch, like you're saying, it, it's totally built for games exactly like this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe the content was something that they didn't necessarily agree with, or they were just a little bit more cautious of. But ultimately, yeah, I think that this game as a Nintendo title, just based on the way that they develop their consoles, when they were doing just the handhelds in the DS form and to now, and when they kind of had the hybrid within Wii U, like I'm glad that they had people that fought within Nintendo to say, Hey, get this game on our platform and, and let people decide what they want to play. Yeah. And definitely a major shift. Cause I mean, not that long ago, Germany was cracking down on every piece of media possible GTAs, like little things like this. They were just like, no, no one in this country will play it. And then finally someone's like, why don't we just, why do we care about this? Let's just people play stuff. And then that has alleviated, I know a lot of things around the globe of like trying to like figure out your German market, figure out this market, figure out this, where everyone is kind of agreed on like the Peggy system and the ESRB system and kind of left those two devices. And also understand like, let your people pick. Like, you don't have to police or control this. If someone doesn't like it, they're not going to like it. They can look into it. And so I think that's been a huge landscape shift overall. And also just the gaming market since then, even in 12 years, has made trillions and trillions and trillions and is going to keep making that and is worth so much money. So you're going to keep that, keep going sky high with it. Right. You don't want to be a country that starts denying all these games over little things, especially when they're there. It's easy, I think, to look at this game, you know, and say, okay, well, we're not going to let this little indie developer publish this, but then the game becomes big and it's like, okay, well, are you sort of pushing away? Yeah. Uh, an economy and economic impact. Yes, I exactly. And, and are you doing that? How much money are you actually going to really lose from that? And that's why you see like a lot of that market is really built up in the countries that allowed that to happen and allowed for that creativity to push. You and I went to Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And so the whole like Christian pushback of media is not something foreign to us at all. No. It just seems to always be a losing battle on that end. It's like, you know, Harry Potter was still massive. Uh, Pokemon, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh, the monsters, all kinds of stuff. So it's like, I, I, can, I can relate to this guy 
a lot on the the upbringing and seeing that stuff and not I didn't necessarily have parents that were like oh yeah don't play Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that but it's interesting to see that experience really materialize into this game and I I find the heart behind its development really inspiring I I think that it's really cool and you could see that that interest obviously carried over so much within his personal life to make a project that ultimately we you know the controversy gets a lot of uh the the media hype and the the story part but i think there's another story here speaking to the depth beyond the video game of the creator of this game and what it really meant to him as an experience as a reflection of life you know, like, yeah, to a lot of people, it's a silly, fun video game with, like, maybe some some more shocking elements that you have to sort of get past. But, you know, for another human that made this, it's sort of like a catharsis that's like, hey, you know, this was my experience growing up, listening to the story of, of Abraham and Isaac and, you know, this, this, this devotion to uh god and saying like Mm -hmm. i have to sacrifice this thing that i love because god told me to like that was obviously something that really impacted him greatly growing up and and to have this be a result of that i don't think that you get that sort of emotion in video game projects too often Mm -hmm. i think a lot of times it, it is an artistic emotional outlet in that regard but but to have it be that personal i think was really cool and and to see his wife take interest in it as well and ultimately be responsible for the additional content yeah is really cool too that that there was just all this stuff feeding from his personal life that ultimately was responsible for this game and success how it fed into other roguelike games in the genre i mean just a a really awesome story i think yeah, I, I think it's, it's a fantastic one out there. We've let him know, Derek, what we think. But what would you rate this game? This game's like a 9 out of 10 for me. I think it's really fantastic. Um, it is simple. It is one of those games, though, that I think it has that additional depth. It has those layers. It has the pickup playability. But it also has things that you know you could think about as well. Um, throughout it has different challenges over and over again it can be difficult it can be a lot of fun you know it's it's got like that mobile game style feel Mm -hmm. with the i want to pick this up and put it down i just need something to pass the time that's some of my favorite video games are are just that Um, i love the very deep dense story driven video games you know but video games ultimately that can just be fun and alluring and addictive, I think, are some of the best games ever made. And I think this game is that. Absolutely. We definitely have to agree with that. And if I had to get a rating, I would give it a probably a bumbo amount of points divided by Rest in Peace Guppy, which was his cat, which is he did a beautiful tribute in the game to his cat. Uh, multiply that by always take the angel deal. Don't take the devil deal. Divide that by how much I hate the little goopy guys that are in the ground that are kind of like little pus ball guys that just spit at you and they're really annoying to kill. It's just frustrating. Out of hmm, probably 
10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of 10. I think that's good. I think that's good. Out of 10. That's good. It's good normal, normal <laughs> scale. I don't know the mathematical equivalent of all the other things you said, but it's I'm sure good. it's it's pretty high up there, close to 10. I I didn't say this. I do want to say it before we go. Mm-hmm. The Legend of Zelda, like the OG one, obviously influences every every game ever made, sure. as we have said. That's the new revolving door of this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, the dungeon style in particular is just like so emblematic of The Legend of Zelda. It's funny that they were scared of this game's narrative. It's like Legend of Zelda is literally monsters and like... <laughs> yes you know, gods and, and things like that too, that are very sacrilegious. So it is, but we're past that point. We're looking beautiful. We understand what satire and what other things can be taken up to talk about in certain ways. And you're right. The dungeon structure is so beautiful and fun. It's so well done with it. And it is that like going room to room, load the room in and so many games have taken advantage of that because it is fun. It's, it's, it's kind of condensing what could be a huge level into these little squares that you'll navigate through that are just done so expertly. And yeah, I mean, and many games have taken from obviously Legend of Zelda, have taken from the Binding of Isaac in terms of difficulty, in terms of how a game progresses over time and time and time and time again. And it is just so cool to see. Absolutely. And I think that internal like dungeon style of, hey, this is a new item, a new power up, and that's how you're going to beat this dungeon. It's a really great, simple strategy that I think works really well. And that OG Legend of Zelda, you can skip over some stuff, I think, if you really, really want to. Mm-hmm. But, but it's cool to, to think like, okay, well, I got into this dungeon. I have this tool now that I can use to beat this dungeon and then move on to something else. I think that's a really smart way to do it. Do it in any order. But yeah. This has been fun. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music for this episode was given to us by our friend Evan Barr, and our lovely artwork was provided by Aaron Shattuck. Lovely people. And as always, want to thank those over on our Patreon. If you want to check us out, it's patreon.com slash finish the fight. We have plenty of physical digital rewards. We have plenty of bonuses, as well as, if I could talk correctly, many bonuses some might say but want to thank a few select members today with snide t-bird nick hyman and anthony gooch thank you so much for your support yeah i can't talk at this point in the podcast either it's it's, we're old now so much conversation a lot of conversation happening over in the the discord from time to time talking about movies talking about games talking about all different kinds of things. There's a link in the description below. It's free to join. We'd love to see you there. Absolutely. You can also check us out on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. You can also catch Derek at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. It helps us out a lot. We'd love to hear from you. We also have Q&As regularly on the Mm -hmm. Spotify platform. So if you haven't migrated over to listening to us on Spotify, there's just a little bit of an extra thing there. Um, If you want to do that. Absolutely. And with that, this has been our coverage of The Binding of Isaac. Are there any additional indie games you think really 
struck the pulse for where we are in our current years? Are there any of the indie titles that you think set the standard? Let us know, and we'll cover it in our next episode. With that, as always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, The Baker Man 24-7. That is The Baker Man (laughs) 247. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. (laughs) Yeah.